We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Um, let's start the lesson. Oh, I was feeling crowded. Now I don't feel crowded. <laughs> My mother was a difficult woman. It was the embodiment of the phrase, hurt people who hurt people. My daughter, my new daughter, wave new daughter, <laughs> my new daughter found a box of family pictures and was sending them to me by text saying, who's this and what's their story? Who's this and what's their story? Who's this? What's their story? And eventually we got to the place where I was telling her some of my mother's story. And she said in one of the texts that came back, oh, I get it now. If that had happened to me, I might have been difficult too. And that is why we do life story groups, because learn one another's stories, and it helps us see, ah, you could be me. Ah, I could be that. That could be my life. We say it every time we form life story groups, trust and affection. Life story groups build trust and affection. Now, most people are not extreme cases, not like my mother's broken and wounded heart, but all of us, knowing one another's stories, it builds trust and affection. I realized when I was doing the lesson, I have not done a life story group since before the pandemic. So I made myself a note to organize one. If you'd be interested in doing one with me, let me know. We've also noticed in our community, after doing a round of life story groups, the whole tone of our community changes. It's like adding salt to soup. It changes the taste of the whole community, not just the folks who did the life story groups. So we do them. We do them to build trust and affection. We do them to build authentic community. But we also discovered in the process of doing them that when we tell our stories, it is not uncommon that we learn something about ourselves in the telling of the story. And I think that happens a lot of times because, first, we have worked really hard to create an environment in which we can talk about uh, our lives. We use the phrase, talk about our shit and still belong afterwards. So it's just a way that we think about being community, authentic community. Well, I think that environment affords us a kind of free-range thinking to say out loud of our mouths without the editing that we often do in other contexts, things that we might not have explored before. And I think that's one of the reasons why it happens. Another reason it happens, and I, this has happened to me, we are telling our stories later than when we lived our stories. And in the intervening time, things have happened. Our lives have changed, our perspective has changed, our perspective on reality has broadened, our life experience has broadened. Consequently, when we tell it, we bring a different perspective to it that's bigger and broader than it was when we were living it. So we do life story groups. We'll start another round in January. I hope you'll participate. Well, I tell you all that because I got this email after one of our rounds of life stories groups, and it bears on today's lesson on today's technology of transformation. The email went something like this. Doug, I am not trying to be dramatic, 
But that Life Story group, it changed my life. I met with three other guys. I did not expect that we'd have much more than 45 minutes to say to each other each time, each time but turns out, no, we had more. When it was my turn, he said, I told part of my story, and the part that I told was, had a lot to do with my relationship with my wife. And I said more than I thought I would, kind of said more than I wanted to. On the way back home, I kind of kicked myself and said, you blabbermouth. And on top of that, I showed emotion, WTF, his email, not mine. That is not something I do, but he said, something happened. In the days after that, the stuff that I said started working on me. He used the phrase, disrupted my psyche. For a couple months, there was this persistent tap, 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 this inner voice thing saying, talk to her, tell her, which, he said, I resisted. I held off. I resisted because I like keeping the peace. That's not going to keep the peace. I don't like rocking the boat. That is going to rock the boat. So I kept quiet. But tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. So he said, last Saturday, I pushed past my anxiety. There was a quiet moment in the house. And so I brought it up and we talked. I loosely followed the format we use when we do the self-awareness worksheet. I told her what happened. I told her how I felt. I went through the feelings list word. Uh, I told her the story that I tell myself where I'd seen this pattern before. I did all that stuff. And what surprised me is that it did not rock the boat. And then he quickly corrected himself and he says, well, yes, it did, but not the way I imagined because she listened and she understood. But then together we started seeing things that we had not seen. And he described it, it was kind of a breakthrough. Now, let me pause his story for a second and say that happened. That happened to this guy. It's his story. But I am very familiar with that pattern, and I know many of you are familiar with that pattern as well. The way that we talk about it in the community, the stories that we tell ourselves, or the thing under the thing and the thing under that, or you can't see what you can't see until you see it. It's a path that many of us have gone down before in the quest for self-understanding. But even though we've been down the path, or even though we know the pattern exists, it's no less dramatic, no less surprising, no less remarkable when we actually see something that we had not seen. When we find some story that exists under the story that we have been telling ourselves. No less remarkable because we're familiar with the path. No less remarkable even if we've experienced it before. And so the tone of his email was borderline euphoric, borderline exuberant. I can't believe this breakthrough happened in me. I can't believe this breakthrough happened in us. The email told the whole story too long. Plus also, that's not really relevant to today. But here's the point. Knowing the pattern, knowing the tools that help us experience the pattern, that does not change that when the pattern happens, it is really, really good, like exciting kind of good. Here's how he finished the email. He said, I've been carrying this story around for 12 years, and I didn't even know it. 
I didn't realize how vigorously my brain had actually been working to make sure I did not see the story, that I did not recognize the pattern, that I did not work to find the story under the story and the story under that. Only in hindsight, he says, now, looking back, do I realize how adversely not seeing, not working with, not factoring in those story, those beliefs, that pattern, not doing that, how adversely it was impacting me and how adversely it was impacting my marriage. I was so afraid I would do irreparable harm if I went and looked at that stuff. I was so afraid that I actually had stopped living authentically. I never imagined how this thing that I resisted, exploring my inner world, would change the things the way that it has changed the things. And he said, I don't want to get all effusive, but by then it was too late. (laughs) But he said, suffice it to say, oh my God, this is a thing. This is a thing. And yeah, it's a thing. Working the circle is a thing. Doing the practices, authentic community, self-awareness work, it's a thing. And today I'd like to talk about this part of the thing. His story highlights another of the technologies of transformation. In many ways, this is a foundational technology. It's a mindset. It's a posture. It's a way that we approach life. A lifelong posture of learning. The superpower of learning, I called it in the Thursday email. It's a devotion to learn and it's a strong enough devotion to learn that we do that learning pushing against resistance as we do our typical brain instinct is to stay wherever we are our typical brain instinct is to not change to maintain the status quo to be suspicious of change because the Kraken has not yet been released but who knows if I change maybe destroy everything a lifelong posture of learning and holding that posture in the face of the inevitable resistance our brains throw up so to understand that you kinda have to define terms a little bit let me tell you a little bit of what I mean by a lifelong love of learning It's really good to learn. It's really helpful to learn how Greek philosophy and Roman cultural norms are still impacting uh, American society, often in negative ways. Learning that stuff, it really matters. It's really good to learn. It's really helpful to learn how the Western Christian narrative of sin and salvation has poisoned the well of authentic uh, community for many people and how it has undercut environmental protection. That's really good stuff to know. It's really important to learn that stuff too. Learning stuff is important, and I hope you make it a priority. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Today we're talking about a second stage love of learning. I bet you know somebody who knows a lot of stuff and all of their knowing does not make them a better human being. I had professors like that even when I was in seminary, arrogant pricks who knew everything there was to know about philosophy or religion or science or psychology, but as human beings go, they were not inspiring. I did not want to be like them. Now, when I was young, my church taught me about that. I wish more churches were doing that now. Here's what they taught me. 
the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, <laughs> which kind of stands to reason. That would be the starting point. If you, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Get wisdom, though it costs you everything you have, get wisdom, get understanding. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was in middle school. We called it junior high because it was California. Solana Beach Presbyterian. This teacher would come back to this text on a recurring basis. Junior hires, you can't just know stuff. Your life has to be changed by the stuff you know. Knowledge must shape your experience. The stuff that you learn must change what you decide. The stuff you learn has to change how you approach decisions that you're going to make tonight and decisions that you're going to make next week. It has to change how you decide between saying yes to this and saying no to that. And kids, it is so important that you put at the top of your list learning the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and compassion and the virtues like uh, courage and justice. So important that you learn something greater than me or mine because those are the foundations of wisdom. They're going to help you know what to learn, what to hold on of to of all the things you do learn and how in the learning you're going to be able to see a changed and different life. I'm so glad I had that Sunday school teacher. He's been in the back of my head rumbling around ever since I was in junior high. The beginning of wisdom is not just knowing stuff, but integrating the stuff that we know into living a good life. Filtering what we learn, filtering what we hold on to, because you probably learn a lot of stuff, but what do you hold on to and what is the criteria by which you decide what you're going to hold on to? How do you get that filtered through the screen? And the screen is kindness and goodness and love. Integrating the stuff that we learn into a moral life. Integrating the stuff that we learn into a virtuous life. Get that. If it costs you everything you have, get that. The Sikh tradition understood the same thing. Those alone are wise who reflect within their hearts and elevate the divine. I hear in that, if you want to be wise, learn stuff. Yes, do that. But not just stuff. Also, listen for the interior voice. Discern the interior wisdom to help you know what you hold on to of what you learn. Taoism also understood this principle, understands this principle. Those who know others are wise. Those who know themselves are enlightened. The spiritual traditions, all of them, make an important distinction between knowing stuff, knowledge, and integrating stuff that we know with the deeper truths that define what makes life good, what makes life work. Knowledge, wisdom. Acquiring information, knowing stuff, it helps. It gives us perspective, helps us solve problems, help us, helps us make practical decisions, take care of business. But wisdom does more. Wisdom seeks out the foundations, the principles, the core truths on which the good life is built. And then tenaciously builds life on those truths, those principles. 
Wisdom helps us make good decisions about life, helps us make sound judgments, helps us discern what sound judgment would be, and then to follow that course and to live it once we do make the discernment. Wisdom is the fountainhead of meaningful, virtuous lives. It is inextricably bound together with morality and ethics and virtue. It's not just living an informed life. It's living a good life. Get wisdom, though it costs you everything. Now let me get practical for a minute and tell you kind of what that means. What would it mean to live life that way? Well, part of what it would mean would be to do what our story guy did. Face down the inevitable resistance that we feel when wisdom asks us to make a significant change. Face down the inevitable resistance that we feel when wisdom asks us to make a significant change. So for that, let's revisit our cosmological myth, which we do from time to time, our origin story. Here it is. Made out of dirt, we are. Made out of clay, made out of the elements of earth. And there's us. Also, made alive by the very breath of God, infused with the very Spirit of God. Us, made out of earth stuff, all of the red in tooth and claw parts, they're in there. All of the evolutionary adaptation parts, they're in there. And there's us also filled with more. Breath of God stuff, inner light stuff. That's our ancient origin story. A story designed to help us think about how we live our lives, to help us grapple with an interior tension that you feel, just like I feel, just like every other human feels, that we've got within us inner demons, and we've got within us better angels. We've got within us evolutionary survival algorithms, and we've got within us inner light beauty. And the story tells us both are in there. Don't forget either one. But understand that the deepest part, the animating you part, that what makes you alive part is made of the same stuff God is made of. It's also a story that helps us think about resistance to wisdom. Because every one of us carries an onboard resistance to wisdom. And we all have to grapple with that as well. Our story suggests that is just going to happen because you will carry the red and tooth and claw part. You will carry the dirt part. You will carry the clay part. And all of those evolutionary origin parts, they're in there. So we all carry evolutionary fear. And on the top of our list of things that we fear, the unknown. And very little is as unknown, consequently as scary as our own, hidden away inner demons. Oh my God, if I dig into the thing under the thing, who knows, maybe a tiger in there. Maybe make things worse, not better. Maybe unleash the kraken. But here's what wisdom says. Wisdom says, when evolutionary instinct screams, don't keep going, keep going. 
Wisdom hears, don't go there, and then goes there. And not only goes there, but develops a lifelong love for going there. Quick example, you hear me say all the time that we don't, we can't know anything about God. The word God is an invitation to unknowing. It's not knowledge about God that we ever get. It's about experiencing something deeper than we have currently experienced. We say that all the time. So, put up any metaphor for God. Wind is one that we use a lot. And the point is not, ah, now I know. God is wind. I'm relieved. I feel confident. I'm in the know. Now I can relax. Brain, you can be quiet now because you know God is wind. Not the point. The point is experience. The point of any story we tell about God is that that story will point us to some kind of experience. So, ah, if I wait quietly, I can experience like a gentle wind blowing moving me toward love and joy and kindness and goodness and courage and justice, I can experience being moved if I wait in quiet stillness. Knowledge, not that helpful for that part. Wisdom, very helpful for that part. But like me, you know your brain, and you know everybody else's brain. Our brains come with built-in resistance. I don't want to go. Usually it all happens unconsciously below the level of my awareness. I don't want to go where I don't know what's there because it might be bad. I don't want to go where I don't know what's there. So instead, I do something else. I'm going to go learn some stuff that does not require deep change in my life. The stuff that does require deep change in my life? Nah. Which is shorthand for don't get wisdom. Oh, that's too bad. I made the changes and then I didn't update the slide. Hold on. There we go. Now it's going to be better. Watch this. That was a very smooth transition. So let's ramp up to it again so you can just see how smooth the transition it was going to be. <laughs> so let me go back up a little bit just to remember where I was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead, what we do do, instead of going to where change is so demanding, is we learn all the other stuff. We learn all the stuff about Greeks and Romans. We learn all the stuff about artificial intelligence. We learn all the stuff about all the stuff. And what we don't do is learn the stuff that requires change, which means what we don't do is get wisdom. That's the point of the whole... Pro I just saw it. Yeah, we don't do that. That's what we don't do. And consequently, we end up resisting the very notion that there is a God of unknowing. And consequently, we don't end up exploring the spiritual life of unknowing. 
which it turns out is rich and meaningful, but also about the only spirituality that's going to be relevant, relevant in the world as the world is taking shape right now. We end up resisting the unseen story that I tell myself that keeps my wife at arm's distance, and consequently, I never experience the depth of closeness that I could. We end up resisting exploring the unseen story that underlies my anxiety. And sure, anxiety sucks, nobody likes it, but we know anxiety, so we stay with it. Maybe next year, too. We end up resisting the story that we tell ourselves that keeps us working for less money than we need and keeps us in financial trouble. Or the other story that we might tell ourselves that drives us to always chase more money, even at the expense of things that are way more important than money. So we keep sacrificing things that in the end we know we're going to regret. We resist exploring the interior part of our worlds that tells us why we isolate why we withdraw. So we end up staying out of networks of spiritual friendships and are impoverished because we do. We end up resisting why we medicate so much in front of a screen. We resist trying to explore what is the pain that I'm trying to medicate. And because we don't go explore that, we're still medicating next year and maybe the year after that. We resist exploring why we keep ourselves always on the edge of burnout, why the default response is always yes, or conversely, why the default response is always no, and we don't end up having the fulfillment that we could by being more engaged. A lifelong love of learning is a technology of transformation, but not just learning stuff about stuff. A lifelong love of learning wisdom. A commitment to learn the deeper truths and the truer truths, even when they push us into resistance territory. Even when they pit us against evolution brain that says, don't go there, maybe a tiger. Now, a lesson on lifelong learning maybe ought to conclude with a few practical pointers like one hard book a month. I made that commitment right when I left graduate school. Been doing it for 35 years. It was really hard during the kid years. Time was at a premium, but still one book a month. It's a good idea. It's a very good practical pointer. Or join a book club. Boy, that's a good one. That's a great practical suggestion. Or listen to this highly informative podcast. Or watch that very helpful YouTube channel. Or attend this workshop. Or go to that seminar. Again, learning stuff is really important. But that's not the kind of important that we're talking about today. For the first 10 years when I was starting Common Thread, I went to all the minister meetings that I could find in town because, honestly, I was looking for friends. And I met a guy, and we got to talking at one of these uh, retreats that uh, a group put on, and we'd read a lot of the same books, and those were weird books for ministers to be reading at that time. So we enjoyed talking about the things that we were reading. We enjoyed talking about the things that we were learning. And I was kind of disappointed that that relationship didn't go the distance. But eventually, he kind of stopped returning my calls, and I think I also started calling less frequently because here's what I think happened. 
If you allow learning wisdom to challenge the interior resistance that our brains, our bodies will mount, it's going to change how you relate to your spouse. It's going to change how you relate to your job. It's going to change how you relate to your friends and to your co-workers. And in our case, it's going to change how you relate to and how you build your congregation. So I began to start moving the discussion toward those kinds of changes. So, hey, great, we've, we've talked about new book. We've talked about new idea. Now let's talk about how that book, how that idea changes how we organize our communities. Let's talk about how it changes how we're going to organize our budgets and our calendars and our energy. Let's talk about how that's going to change our own way of being leaders or our own way of being husbands and fathers. So I was asking myself, so I began to ask him too, what's going to be different because we learned this new thing? What's going to change? And I think he began to found our coffees, began to find our coffees just less fun. And so pretty soon we stopped having them. But here's my prayer for us. In dwelling divine, may we not stop. May we not be put off by the evolutionary resistance in our brains. May we get wisdom, even if it costs us everything. May we get wisdom. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. This is a very inconvenient time to have a budget shortfall. I don't imagine there is a convenient time, but this is particularly inconvenient. We're doing this survey, and this survey is the very first step in what's going to become a much longer conversation where we are going to be imagining our future together. So, a very inconvenient time to also be talking about budget shortfalls. But here's what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and talk about both, but also try not to conflate the two of them. We've had a budget shortfall. We've had them before. I'm thinking we'll be fine when the community has understood in the past what's happening, where we are, what's going on. The community has always done a really good job of kind of pulling together and taking care of what needs to be taken care of. Who knows? This might be the first time. No, but I'm not thinking. I'm thinking we're going to get through this. So we need to talk about that, but we also need to not confuse that conversation with this other conversation. So here's what I'm going to do. I have heard several times in the last few weeks, hey, what do we spend our money on? Hey, where does our money go? Which helped me realize, oh yeah, it's been quite some time since we've had a money discussion. So there's a lot of new people who just don't know what we spend our money on. So I'm doing a math project, <laughs> another one, which is really kind of a storytelling project. How do we tell our community where our money goes? Because we have found over the years that many human beings have a hard time not zoning out when we just send out the itemized category report because it's number after number after number after number after number after number. After number. And uh, we've tried it, and it turns out you don't read it. 
<laughs> so my project, and I've been getting help from some folks who do nonprofit, they're veterans of that world. Here's how to get people the information that they need, and here's how to not zone them out. I'm getting some help creating a format, all the information in a pretty chart, and a link that you can follow if you want to dig into all the gritty details. So you should get that maybe this week. You should maybe get that next week. Depends on how fast I can get to it. An updated report format. So when you do, please do read it. It'll tell you this is where our money goes and this is what we spend our money on. So look for that report. I hope to accompany it with a short video explanation. That should happen in the next week or two. But I also want you to hear this. We're just starting to have this conversation about our future. Again, the survey is a very preliminary step to start asking us together about our future. But this is not a budget shortfall conversation. This is a healthy in five years conversation. Maybe it's a healthy in 50 years conversation. So as we say each week, we always give online. The QR code will take you there. Uh, so, we're all, so will our website. So will the app. It's as easy as it can be. Um, did I mention we've had a budget shortfall? Let's dismiss the folks online. And then we're going to do two things for what are you thinking. Um, those of you online, we're going to uh, do a little bit different format for what are you thinking today. Um, but we invite you to go do what are you thinking on Zoom. And the way you get there is either on the front page of our website or right there in the notes in the YouTube link. There's a link that will tell you how to get there. When you get there, it's going to ask you for a password. The password is 1417. When you get there, uh, I think, I don't know, you'll find one of five people who are just over the top gracious. They will make you feel so comfortable. And if you go, and then if you keep going, you will, and we have found this to be true, start building friends in an online way. And you'll start building not just friends, but a place to actually have conversations that there aren't a lot of spaces in the world to have. We have conversations about how our souls grow in these contexts, and these people who are part of that thing are becoming dear to one another, and they would love you to join them. So go to the link, go to the Zoom afterwards, and we're going to dismiss you all. If you would, let's put our hand on our hearts as they go. And remember, as we do, that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they're all in there because the breath of God animates who we are. And if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair our world, to heal our world. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We are not dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.